Blessed be the name, blessed be the name of Jesus. Uh, I greet you, saints, in the name of Jesus. Um, welcome to the Rooftop Herald. It's a Thursday today, and I'm sorry to send this podcast uh, late today uh, or this week. It has been hectic, and uh, the Lord has been good. We're in prayer, seeking God's face, and uh, all is well. All will be good. So uh, I'm, I'm just going to do a very short exegesis uh, today uh, from the book of Matthew. All right? From the book of Matthew. And thank you for sharing this podcast. Thank you so much. It goes a long way. Um, and your positive responses as well. And they're really much encouraging. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your feedback. May God bless you. So share it with your friends again. Share this one with your colleagues. You know, it's going to be a short one today. Yeah, it's going to be a short one today. But the Lord is good. All right. So what's going to happen is, uh, you know, normally when we... Or when I minister somewhere, or I have an invitation, or preaching at church, I always do the infallibility and the narrative of Scripture as my introduction because I want the church and I want the audience or the listener to actually now build trust between him or them and the Word before I come in. You know, before I even preach the Word, before I even read it, you, I. I I actually enjoy laying a foundation so that they can be able to trust this word that we are first going to read before we are going to preach it, you see. Uh, I think this subject on infallibility and inerrancy, it should be our culture, you know, Christian culture, especially on environments where we we actually not sure whether we have Christians 100% or we're just going to have a mixture of unbelievers and believers, you know, but cultivating that culture to talk about the inerrancy and the infallibility of scripture creates that atmosphere of power. It creates that atmosphere of the miraculous. I, 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 I believe, you know, I believe that uh, there is going to be miracles, signs and wonders that are happening in the church, not because we are powerful or we have fasted uh, or there's too much intercession, no. I think the, the miraculous that is hanging in the atmosphere is actually going to be released as soon as we accurately divide the word of God. You see, there's something that we must learn from the apostles of Jesus Christ and the apostles like Paul of the New Testament. Actually, I always tell a group of preachers from our church that we need to continue with the legacy of apostleship. When I say legacy of apostleship, the main purpose of apostleship was not to uh, to have a car and a house and all of these things. These are just common blessings. Even unbelievers do dream like that. They do have such, you know, mentality and a notion and ambition. However, as a, as a minister of the gospel, one thing, one thing that you must chase after is that as we have ministered the word of God, uh, people should be anchored in their faith. People should be fortified in their faith. 
in a sense that uh, you are planting a seed or giving a baton to somebody who's going to be faithful in terms of running the race as far as as preaching the gospel and handing over the gospel to their to their generation it doesn't have to be a preacher even if you're a normal uh, parent at home okay it is the joy it, you know it's a great joy for you to be able to decode uh, scriptures accurately but yeah it's a story for another time but normally that's what i do that's what i i i, I get into like i just do the introduction on fallibility and inherence of scripture and then boom sometimes the lord just visits right there and then people get to connect the word with the word and then as we preach the word the miraculous happen the atmosphere the power of god manifests because I believe that the Lord is happy that we are trying by all means to be accurate and to present his heart. Like I said last week, if you misrepresent, if you misinterpret the word, we are misrepresenting the Lord because it's like we are speaking something that he never meant. So it is, it is our, our main focus that we should be accurate in terms of interpreting these particular scriptures. So, yeah, I hope today you shall be blessed um, as well we're going to do just a small um uh exegesis from the book of matthew today all right i want us to visit the book of matthew today just for that small uh, exegesis but yet again we need to declare even on this podcast that the word of god carries final authority uh, the word of god is uh, infallible it is immutable the word of god is eternal all right the word of god is is actually interpreting itself all right scripture interprets scripture scripture authenticates scripture scripture uh, complements and supplements scripture all right scripture exalts scripture all right the bible says that um, uh, he exalts his word above his name all right not that he does not exalt the name he exalts the name but above the name he has exalted his word what does this mean right remember the word or rather the name of jesus brings us deliverance okay by the name of jesus we have deliverance from our sicknesses we are healed uh, in the name of jesus we are saved by the name of jesus and yet god does not exalt or jesus does not exalt his name that brings us salvation and deliverance and healing and the miraculous he does not exalt the name he exalts the word above his name because he knows that there is no salvation uh, without the word they wanted to be the miraculous without the word all right so it's first the word before we can entertain the power gifts it's first the word before we can prophesy a greatest sign that you are a prophet of god is not that you can actually uh, have or function in the word of knowledge or word of wisdom uh, or prophecy uh, in, in totality but uh, the first or the primary sign that you are a prophet of God is that you are well able to equip the church for the work of ministry and that means now you should be some should be you should be somebody who is knowledgeable in terms of the word of God you should love the word you should love truth you should love holiness and justice you know yeah that is actually a sign of a prophet so he exalts his word above his name so that's 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 should be that should be our notion that should be our attitude uh, even in this generation all right um i don't want to waste time man i just need these 
this one this podcast to be very short so we're going to be doing the book of matthew um okay just a small exegesis from uh, a very powerful chapter uh in chapter 23 all right uh, we're going to be talking about one of the woes of the pharisees that jesus has pronounced uh over them all right the scribes and the pharisees so yeah that that will be our our, our our exegesis for today so let me just give you a little bit of a background of what the book of matthew actually carries all right because this will help you also to to understand okay and uh, to understand the the nature of the book the setting of the book and the type of an audience that the writer was actually writing unto this book was written by one of the disciples of jesus christ his name was levi okay is his uh, mainly known by Matthew tax collector but if you read the gospel according to John or Luke it will tell you that his name was also Levi the son of Elphios okay he was one of Jesus disciples now this guy there's nothing much that we know about him except the fact that he has been a faithful steward in terms of recording uh, you know the events that he has seen while he was working with the Lord we don't even know uh, it's not much uh, according to the post apostolic fathers in the church history and there's nothing much that has been said about him except the fact that he went to India and that's where he was actually retired and um, yeah he was he died preaching basically it is well known in history that he died preaching in what position or what was he suffering from nobody actually knows but yeah uh, yeah but he was a great and a faithful servant of our lord and savior jesus christ now he has written this book in aramaic there's a language called the aramaic which is a combination of the hebrew and a combination of the another language of the chaldeans Okay, now the Chaldeans, remember the Chaldeans is another name for the Babylonian guys or the, the people that were coming from Babylon. They have adopted that language as they were coming from uh, captivity. All right, there are a lot of things that happen in captivity. One day we'll have time. Actually, uh, the Pharisees themselves, the Pharisees themselves, the word parashia, it means to be secluded, to be separated. And uh, it's actually derived from a setting that they had to have after uh, the second captivity uh, of Babylon as Ezra was bringing them back home and then trying to distinguish and to differentiate uh, those that were the priests and those that were not the priests. Right? Because remember in Babylon, they never had a place of fellowship. There was no temple there. Hence, the synagogues were born in, in Babylon. Right? Story for another day. But these guys called the Pharisees, uh, they come from that time of Ezra and uh, how they secluded themselves to be the people of the promise and the Jews and the people of uh, the, the scribals, you know, the, the laws and the, and the Pentateuch of God. So they separated themselves. So the word Pharisee means to separate yourself, you know, to be secluded. Yeah, I don't know why I get into that, but I was explaining something. Oh, yes. Um, the language of this book. Some scholars believe it was Greek. Some scholars believe it was Aramaic. So I was explaining to you that the Aramaic is a combination of three languages. Okay, It's one of them that were called the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are actually 
um, the Babylonians. Habakkuk, when he prophesied, he never called them the Babylonians. He called them the Chaldeans, which are the people who believe in the moons and the stars. And it's very much interesting how actually they will uh, know the signs and stuff like that. But it's a story of another day. Um, yeah, we'll even entertain the word uh, magic. Yeah, the word magic means to chisel against the stone. And when you think of how God has written the Ten Commandments on the stone, you'll get to understand what magic is. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Anyway, so it's written in the Aramaic or Greek. It doesn't matter, but uh, the main purpose of this book to be written in those languages so that you can reach now the Jews, all right? The Jews who uh, had now to receive the message of salvation or rather to believe that Jesus is actually the Messiah, all right? In some other scholars and uh, other writings, they believe that this book was written for both, actually, the Jews and the Gentiles, uh, because it's a combination of everything. However, now what I need you to note about this book, Jesus, what I need you to note about this book is that uh, this man, Levi, or um, Matthew, the tax collector, he is appearing or bringing himself or revealing himself to the Jewish nation as somebody who is already a scribe in a sense that uh, he understands now what we call the scribal laws they're not in your Bible this is from history on how they'll actually read or accept um, the letters or the the scrolls that were concerning their faith there was a particular standard in which these laws, I mean, these letters will be read, these letters will be written through the scribes, okay? Hence, they had an office of a scribe. A scribe will specialize in these things, and they had certain standards that they had to maintain for, for, for one to, to actually uh, uh, be given a chance, or rather to, if you had, for instance, you, you had to write a letter or an epistle concerning the faith, Okay, there was a specific standard that the Jews, the scribes had. So, who, uh, this guy called Matthew, he's actually following, yeah, he's following that standard in a sense that one of the things that they look for um, in, in, in that particular epistle was the fact that you recognize their forefathers, okay, in the issues of genealogy. Okay, and it does not start from Adam. He starts from their favorite genealogy, uh, which is now Abraham and David. All right, so Abraham and David, we know from David, the Jews are expecting a king that will come and rule from Abraham. There was a blessing of the land. Abraham was told by God that as if you can count the stars, so shall be your sons. And, uh, you know, we know that stars talks about believers. Okay, the Bible says that we need to shine like stars in this perverted generation. So through the language of typology and symbolism, we understand that he was referring to spiritual sons. And God said again to Abraham, if you can count uh, the sand, uh, so shall be your sons. Talking about the Jews, the natural sons. So the whole blessing of the land was actually given to Abraham. And then the whole blessing of the throne of kingship was given to David. All right. Uh, who is actually from the tribe of Judah, and the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the Lord giver between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh means rest, Shiloh is Christ. All right, so yeah, they, 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 
they loved these two patriarchs, these post-Diluvian patriarchs. They, they loved them so much because they were expecting covenantal blessing from both of them. And now what happens is Luke, he appeals to them as a scribe that is actually learned to actually prove that Jesus is actually the Messiah by conjuncting or combining these two favorite uh, patriarchs in his writing. That's the first thing he does. He says, Matthew 1, 1, this is a generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. So he appears or is bringing genealogy to them. Now, uh, another thing that we can learn from the book of Matthew is using phraseologies or phrases like the kingdom of God to the kingdom of heaven. All right, kingdom of God to the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. And unfortunately, unfortunately, there is no difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. All right contextually speaking what happened is when this letter was written remember that as i said to you there was some scribal laws that they had to recognize because they were observing the law of moses that actually stated that uh, you shall not use the name of the lord in vain meaning now that as they were writing uh, uh, scribing these scrolls Okay, they had not to use the name of the Lord now and then because they'll feel unworthy. History tells you that uh, when a scribe writes the name God or the name Yahweh, he will actually write a Y, go wash his hands and come back, write an H, go wash his hands, come back, write a W until he finishes. So it took them time and they felt unworthy every time they'll use the name Yahweh. So what happened is they substituted the name uh, Yahweh with the name heaven knowing in their minds that they actually mean God but they did not want to feel uh, dishonorable or they didn't want to show dishonor to the law of Moses in terms of uh, what it indicated to say now thou shalt not use the name of the Lord in vain so that's how the phrases like kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God came about I understand there are other ministers who are actually preaching the difference between the two i don't have a problem with that as long as you know, you know you exegete uh, your exegesis is quite correct in terms of the context of what it really meant at that particular time then i don't have a problem yeah but anyway yeah that's the gist we we don't have two kingdoms there's no kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of god there's only one kingdom okay it's just the way in which they had to present uh, this phrase or this terminology to the Jews. So, yeah, I think that's enough for now. I think that's enough. Um, and then what happened is now, before we get to chapter 23, actually, I wanted to highlight something when it comes to a kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. All right. Another thing that you must note there, I thought about it yesterday. I know we use the name Jehovah. All right, the name Jehovah is the name of God. All right, it's fine, I accept that. But Jehovah is actually a combination of two names. It's the name Yahweh and the name Adonai. And uh, the Watchtowers and the other anti-Christian groups, they'll actually counteract against Christianity and say, every time we read about Jesus in scripture, it's not actually referring to him as Yahweh, meaning Lord, who is sovereign, the almighty one, the all-knowing one. Okay, the self-sustaining one. Okay, they only say every time 
Yeah, which is true actually. In the New Testament, when the Bible says Jesus is Lord or He is Lord, the word Lord there is actually the word Adonai, which is uh, transliterated in English as capital letter L and small letters ORD. Okay, it's not like Yahweh who is Jehovah with all capital letters or L-O-R-D, you know? So they are right, but now their mistake is when now they emphasize the fact that the word Adonai means, means a landlord. Yes, we do agree. The word Adonai also means a master, okay? Basically, as a Christian, when you say, Jesus, you are Lord, you are actually pronouncing him to be your master and you are announcing yourself to be a slave. Remember, like the book of Romans says, we are moving from slavery to slavery. That's, that's Christianity. Amen. We are moving from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. In the kingdom of darkness, uh, we were slaves unto death. Okay. And the shakers there were of the law. But in the new covenant, okay, we have become the slaves of righteousness. And the shakers in our hand are the shakers of love. Okay. Everything that is done here, we are free born slaves. Okay, if I can put that there. So when you say Jesus is Lord, you are actually saying I am a slave. And a slave does not do as he pleases. A slave does not have uh, his own ambitions. If you are a slave, you don't even own your own name. Okay, a slave, uh, a slave is not like a, a, a servant. A slave owns nothing. That's the attitude that you must have, actually, as Christians. You must remember that without the Lord, we are nothing. It's not about our names. It's about his name. Slaves, oh Jesus, slaves, they don't own houses. They don't own properties. They are the property of the master. Okay? So until we come to a place where we understand that God is actually our master, he can do anything over us, we have not fully subscribed to what Christianity is all about. Okay, Christianity is slavery, and the slavery of righteousness, of holiness unto him. Blessed be the name. So the word Lord, there is a word master, Adonai. So the watchtowers will tell you, you can't worship Jesus because he was a landlord. So anybody who owns the land is a, in Hebrew is Adonai or Greek is Adonai. Okay, he's a master over that land. So now, how do you counteract against that? Because of time. Take them to Isaiah chapter number 6, verse number 1. The Bible says, In the year King Uzzah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. That scripture, the word Lord there, Isaiah 6 chapter 1, is the word Adonai. And you must ask them, who is this Adonai? And again, the book of Isaiah is one of those uh, prophets that are acknowledged and respected and honored by many uh, religious groups like the Jews, and the Muslims, they know that Isaiah was a credible prophet. So if Isaiah can see Adonai seated on the throne, who is that Adonai? Because the Bible calls our Christ Jesus Adonai. Anyway, yeah, that's what I wanted to emphasize. So we are back on Matthew chapter number 23. Uh, chapter number 23. We're going to read verse number 15. Uh, la, 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 la. verse number 15 all right so here's a build up here the book of matthew has been revealing some accounts of this particular uh, group of people called the pharisees okay so the pharisees um like i said these are the people who were actually staging the law they were 
they were regarded as people who were supposed to be the teachers of the law, the scribes or the writers of the law, uh, but the Pharisees uh, will be the ones that are actually teaching the law. The Pharisees will uh, intermingle with everybody or every group. They say Jews, sometimes they are working with the scribes and stuff like that. Sometimes they are in a conflict with the uh, sons of zealots who were actually the politicians of the day and stuff like that. So there's a lot that is happening with this group of people called the Pharisees. However, there's a number of, and even John the Baptist, okay, I think it's Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, they had an encounter with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, when he saw them while he was baptizing people in River Jordan, John the Baptist pronounced these words. He says, Brook of Vipers, <laughs> who has warned you of the wrath to come? You know, that's what he was saying to them, all right, because, yeah, they. Yeah, they knew that the wrath of God is upon them. So when they came to John the Baptist, John the Baptist was like, you guys, you have been hypocrites. So these people were known to be hypocrites. They knew the law, but they never lived the law. They never believed the law and stuff like that. So yeah, here is a rebuke. This is an account of a rebuke uh, that Jesus has towards the Pharisees. Jesus has had a number of encounters with them i mean they're the ones who asked who's gonna be seated at the right hand of the father uh, at the end times and stuff like that they are the ones who've been asking for signs you know because the pharisees they were also trained uh, as advocates okay they used uh, a method of debate called catechism meaning they will engage you with questions they'll plan to ask jesus questions you know and there's a uh, there's an, a case that one day we'll talk about when it comes to Matthew 19 when Jesus was actually addressing uh, the issue of divorce with the Pharisees. It is a very same group uh, that Jesus is addressing in this chapter, Matthew 23. And as the interpreters of the word or as the scholars or as the fundis, as the ones who are preaching the word, I've heard people saying there's no need to interpret Matthew 19. And there's no need to interpret Matthew 19 when Jesus was talking about adultery and stuff like that. There's no need to interpret that. And hence, I, I can accept that, that maybe they embrace a literal context of the verse. And then why can they apply the same? The question is, why can they apply the same uh, the same approach when it comes to Matthew 23? Especially when it says, call no man here on earth father. You know? Call no man here on earth teacher. Meaning as long as you're going to call your pastor, pastor. Pastor means a boy man, <laughs> a shepherd, right? The one who teaches the word. So you're already wrong. You can't even call your own daddy father because the scriptures are saying, and thou shall not call any man here on earth father. You see? So without understanding the context, and never forget actually that this is the same group of people that was actually engaging Jesus. So, yeah, but it's a story for another day. Let me not divert. Yeah, I want to stick to this small exegesis and let go. So Jesus is actually rebuking the Pharisees in this chapter. And I like uh, the rebuke that we found in we find in verse number 15. All right. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. All right. For you travel land and sea uh, to win one proselyte. Proselyte is a a a, um, a Jewish disciple, okay, is somebody who's been taught or who's in the school of law, okay, been taught the prophets, who has been taught the writings and the poetic books 
uh, yeah he's actually been taught the old testament and stuff like that. so that guy is actually a, a, a proselyte a proselyte and he says and when he has worn when he has been worn you make him as twice as a son of hell as yourselves actually this is a title of my small exegesis okay uh, the sons of hell okay jesus referred to the pharisees as the sons of hell because they make somebody their disciple just to make them as twice as evil as they are all right so here's my thing uh, here's my uh, presentation actually in five minutes yes in five minutes jesus is bringing a rebuke to the pharisees concerning them making somebody a proselyte like i said jesus does not have a problem with people understanding the law okay but they must surpass the law okay they must go beyond the law okay um jesus himself he expounded concerning himself from the torah to the writings and the prophets concerning himself so to know the torah and the writings and 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 the prophets is there's nothing wrong with that actually i always tell people you cannot embrace the new covenant if you don't understand how severe was the old covenant if you can't embrace light if you don't know what darkness means you can't embrace the new wine if you don't know what the old wine is you can't even begin to compare the new garment uh, if you don't know what the old garment looks like you know so for us to embrace the new covenant we must also understand uh, get into the shoes of the proselyte okay get into the sandals of the proselyte so that we can embrace who christ is you know when john the baptist says uh, when you are speaking to the pharisees again matthew 37 when he says that uh, whose shoes are not worthy to untie Okay, talking about Jesus, I baptize you with water, but the one who's coming after me will baptize you with spirit and fire, whose shoes I'm not worthy to untie. That phrase, whose shoes I'm not worthy to untie, is actually connected to uh, the traditions that were connected to, to the proselytes, because the proselyte will first be taught the traditions of men and then the word of God. Okay, so the word of God and the traditions of men, they were equal in the eyes of the Pharisees. Okay, so that tradition of the shoes and, you know, untying the shoes, there was actually a way in which they will untie shoes. So if you have never been in the school uh, of the law, you actually will not know how to tie your sandals because there was a particular way. History tells us that they will first put the left foot and then the right foot and then tie them both, which is a sign to say you have been learned. So when John the Baptist was saying that statement to the Pharisees to say whose shoes are not worthy to untie. He was actually talking about the level of knowledge or revelational knowledge that the one who's coming after him is, is bringing to, uh, to the people. You see? Yeah, it's the issue of knowledge that Jesus is omniscient and stuff like that. So yeah. So a proselyte, a proselyte will go through several, you know, studies of the Old Testament, especially the Torah. Okay, the five books of Moses, understanding the sons of Jacob, understanding, uh, you know, the five uh, offerings, you know, what we call in, in, our, in our theology or in our day, modern day theology, uh, Old Testament survey. Okay, he'll go through that understanding the priesthood, understanding the tabernacles, the tabernacle of Moses, tabernacle of David, temple of Solomon, temple of Zerubbabel, temple of Herod. 
okay it's also very important for us to understand the temple of herod because that in the temple of herod there was now added courts hence you find people now selling doves or doing business in the house of god and jesus uh, refuted uh, towards that yeah so it's a story for another day when people do business right in the temple because they've added extra courts so we must when you talk about the temple of herod unfortunately some churches are like a temp, temple of herod they've added certain doctrines just to benefit themselves okay mm. okay i'm leaving that one i'm leaving that one so a proselyte will go through those studies but a proselyte uh, the best thing that Jesus hates or the main thing that Jesus hates about the Pharisees and that made him to even call the Pharisees the sons of hell or the child of hell is because they don't recognize his lordship. Okay, They never recognized him as God. They never recognized him as, um, as, as the son of God. Actually, they thought he's blaspheming. Okay, so what is a son of uh, hell or the sons of hell who are they the sons of hell are the very same people who understand the old covenant who understand uh, all the writings the torah and the poetic books but fail to understand that jesus the, the, or that all these scriptures they're actually talking about the man called christ jesus okay so if you're gonna refute if you are going to uh, reject the fact that jesus is actually born of a virgin uh, if you're gonna refute and reject the fact that there is trinity or there is regeneration or there is resurrection okay resurrection in all three forms the book of james talks about the resurrection uh, of um, the, from the sick bed which has to do with healing there's the resurrection which is temporal resurrection like lazarus where you are resurrected only to die again but there's also an, an eschatological resurrection when jesus appears the bodies shall be raised so if you don't believe in these four pillars if you don't believe jesus in jesus lordship if you don't believe in his divinity in his deity as god okay you are actually a son of hell god bless you <laughs> I hope I did not take too long and I hope this will be a blessing to you. In the name of Jesus, pray for me. Amen. Pray for me. And yeah, God bless you so much.